Hello, everybody. My name is Alex Marks, and this is Young History, a podcast about the history of every country in the world, but done in reverse order. What that means is that I do the history, starting with the countries with the least population in the world and working our way up through that scale. And today would be episode 15 on Antigua and Baruba. These are two islands inside of the Caribbean, specifically in the Lesser Antilles, and they have been in a united federation for many, many years. They were colonized by the British, so they fell into a place where they had a very similar history and a very similar way they were controlled. So, throughout their history, they've been together, and they still are today. This country is very, very beautiful. Antigua is the southern of the two islands. Barbuda is a little bit of the, a little bit more northern. They're specifically famous for being low-lying islands with a lot of coral reefs. And one of the more famous ones being Stingray City, which is one of the big events and big sanctuary areas that people go to in Antigua. And the highest point is actually called Mount Obama, which is a mountain named after Obama, the president of the United States. It was named in 2009 when he visited the country and has kept that name ever since. This country is absolutely gorgeous. It was ranked as one of the best places to live and visit in 2014. And since then, its popularity and tourism has grown and grown and grown. So, it's definitely a beautiful place. The history is a little bit harder to find, not super, super long. So, I'm pretty much just going to go through what I can, tell all the knowledge I have, and we're going to get through it. So, without further ado, my name is Alex Marks, this is Young History, and this is Antigua and Barbuda. Around 3000 BC is when our story begins, when the earliest human beings that stepped onto this land were living in Antigua and Barbuda. Despite a lot of evidence around these people's existence, there has been debate back and forth of who these people were, but after more and more archaeological archaeological research was done, it is now believed that these people were the Saboni people. These people were actually here a a long time before the more commonly known natives to the Caribbean that we normally talk about, which would be like the Arawaks and the Caribs, which we're actually going to talk about right now because the Arawaks were people that came into this land around 1200 BC to replace the Saboni people as they began to die out because they weren't great at repopulating. They had very strict laws around it. And it got to a point where when the Arawaks came, they were able to wipe them out pretty easily. Even though the Arawaks are usually more peace-loving, there were conflicts that came because of clash of culture, and the Sabonis actually ended up getting eliminated. The Arawaks now control Antigua and Barbuda, and this would only last until... It would actually last quite a while. It would last over a millennia. Their, their reign would go from 1200 BC about to 1180, which is when the Caribs arrive, and as we've gone through before, the Caribs are the most aggressive and fearsome warriors in the Caribbean. Very great at using their weaponry as well as using different tactics and using the element of surprise because some of, as we said, the natives to the Caribbean are much more peaceful than the Caribs. The Caribs use this to their advantage by attacking very ruthlessly and going out of their way to really crush the people they go against. In this case, it's the Arawaks. The next major thing that would happen in this country's history would be that in 1493, the usual discoverer of things in the Caribbean, Christopher Columbus would actually arrive. He would name the countries, name the islands, the current names they still have now as countries, because when he looked to Antigua, 
or the island which is Antigua in the south. He figured that a lot of the trees and things that had grown onto the land were older, so he called it Antigua, which means ancient, and part of the reason he did this was because there's a church in Seville, Spain, that is very ancient, and it reminded him of this. So he called it Antigua. When he went to the northern island, a lot of the Caribs that were there were bearded peoples, so he called it Barbuda, which actually translates to a form of beard or bearded in Spanish. Despite them being the ones to discover it, the Spanish actually weren't the ones to take the land because they didn't see it as profitable, because Antigua didn't get any water sources outside of the salt water that was around the island itself. They didn't have any lakes or anything, so it was hard to be on the land without any sources of water. And they just didn't see the islands as profitable. It's not like there was gold or silver there like there was in South America. So they moved on. But Britain would be the ones to come about 150 years later, give or take, in 1632, when Britain took Antigua and made it into one of their colonies about 30 years after that. I'm sorry, 50 years after that, they would take Barbuda in 1684, and they brought a lot of things to this land, and it seems that every single one of them was negative. The two major ones bring disease to the land, which wiped out most of the Carib population before conflicts even broke out between the British and the Caribs, because interactions between the two and them being in the same space just brought a lot of old world disease over to the Carib islands, and it eliminated the population very quickly. Another thing they introduced was, of course, slavery. The West, the Atlantic slave trade is very big because of Britain and, you know, slavery moving from Africa across the Atlantic into the Caribbean, North America, and South America especially. So here it takes over the land very quickly. And one of the worst things that was brought into the land was that Barbuda was actually set to be used as a slave breeding ground. It's not talked about much in history books or especially in history classes, but slave breeding grounds were actually a thing is specific lands would be taken just to use a lot of you know this is all like from other people's quotes and things to specify bigger stronger looking male slaves would be taken into certain farms and islands and areas with female slaves and these female slaves would be forcefully impregnated impregnated by the male slaves in hopes to produce generations of slaves and there would have to be less work for the Europeans and colonizers and slave owners to take from Africa and have to fight or trade for people so they could just make their own. So Barbuda was proposed as an island for this. Thankfully, it was not used for this in the end, but it was one of the things that got introduced as a idea for Barbuda as a land. Following this, there would be a lot of back and forth between the way Colonists from Britain run the land, settlements are formed, and sugar plantations begin to sprout up around the island. Of course, the cultivation of the sugar crop is not one that's easy labor-wise. That's why slaves were used so heavily. Tobacco is also popular on the land for a time. Slaves are needed for that too. Both are crops that aren't super easy to harvest. So, of course, the British would use slaves for this because they didn't want to get their own hands dirty and they wanted to keep profit margins wide. The usual stories they give for this practice and a big thing that happened under the British was that culture was very much restricted. The Antiguan and Barbudans have a lot of culture, which has come v very much back alive in recent times. But at this time where they were taken over by the British, they're wiped away very greatly. And especially a lot of the population today is a very black population. And that comes from the slaves that were being brought over from Africa. And as a slave... Almost all traditions are very much disrespected by 
the colonizers and the slave owners. So the British didn't respect any of the um, slave traditions. So they were restricted very heavily. Their culture was dying out. Their languages were dying out until eventually when, in 1834, slavery is abolished. But this isn't the direct path towards things being easier. They are better because no longer are people enslaved in the British colonies, but work was still only paying very little. These former slaves couldn't be hired for great jobs, and it's not even like there were that many great jobs available on a lot of these Caribbean islands. And with this one, the jobs that they were doing for free before as slaves when they didn't have a choice, a lot of slaves, like in the U.S., would go back to their former slave owner and ask for a job and now they would be paid for their labor even if it was very like menial gross pay it was pay nonetheless and it was very similar to what they were doing before throughout the late 1800s it's a lot of time of adjusting from this old style of living which is what really built the culture and society of this island under the British was slavery and the way it was handled, things like that. So once slavery was eliminated, there was a big adjusting time for the people who were formerly slaves now running the land. They start to get more and more pride in themselves. Their culture starts to grow again. They begin to change the culture around their island and they start to want to govern themselves. This came to even bigger light and belief when different federations were introduced to put the islands that were formerly British into a certain conglomerate to be controlled, two of the major ones being the Leeward Islands Federation and the West Indies Federation. Both of these encapsulated Antigua and Barbuda for a time, and while they were in them, their autonomy was much more restricted than it would eventually become because Britain put them into these federations so that the individual states wouldn't have that much power. The overall power being Britain would hold them more tightly. I mentioned these in the St. Kitts video as well, that the Leeward Islands very much restricted personal freedoms and stuff of these islanders because the British could just veto anything that was introduced because they were the and over like the umbrella to all these islands smaller governmental powers. Britain was the big umbrella that looked over all of them. So nothing they really said would unless the British said it could go as well. It's the late 1900s that actually bring a lot of real change. One of the biggest steps for change come under a seven-foot-tall Salvation Army worker named Ver Bird, who would run politics and the independence movement for this country for a very long time. He becomes president of the Antigua Trade and Labor Union, and while also while advocating for labor rights and workers' pay and things like this, the idea of independence started to really grow because the people in the past hundred years had really gained their culture back, had really become proud of who they were, and they were sick of being under the control of the people that used to enslave them. So now they really got this fire under them to become independent. And there was a lot of disagreement between Antigua and Barbuda about how they would go about it because Barbuda always felt like they were less powerful than Antigua. They didn't feel as they were equ as though they were equals. They felt more that they always had to listen to what the Antiguan government wanted and said, and the Antiguan population said, because... They didn't have the same population power. They didn't have the same money running through the country, things like that. But eventually they're able to come to the agreement that they want to stay together and that despite Barbuda threatening to leave the, like the grouping and dependency between Antigua and Barbuda, Barbuda ends up staying with them, and it's okay. And they end up becoming independent together. This independence comes in 1981, 
because of big advocates like Vera Bird, who started advocating for independence in general, how the country would go about handling itself once independent from Britain. A lot of things in education came from someone like Vera Bird being in, in power, and his stature as a seven-foot man also helped them on the global stage to earn independence because, of course, Britain was decolonized between the 60s and 80s to some degree. But having someone that advocated heavily for the way things could look, and he himself represents a lot of strength and prominence with his size, it helped draw a lot of attention to the independence movement in Antigua and Barbuda, and it helped them get their independence in in 81. For his work as an independent leader all that he actually won the independent he actually won the election to become the prime minister of the country so he's the first prime minister of the independent countries of antigua independent country of antigua and barbuda and while he was in power he did have to deal with a lot of things going on internally there were never that many accusations of corruption or anything like that within verbird's government or either the governments in antigua or barbuda but there was different scandals that happened just with elections and some people trying to overthrow parts of the government, things like that. But overall, we do see a difference between this and some of the other countries we've mentioned on this like list we've done so far is that there wasn't a lot of corruption for this tiny country because a lot of co- tiny countries usually do see a lot of corruption as the countries like get independent and try to like govern themselves without a very established government being over them. But this country didn't see that as bad. They had different scandals here and there, but none that were so serious that you could call them like a dirty election and they're like, you know, that they're corrupt or anything like that. One of the big challenges that would come would be in 1995 when Hurricane Lois, which destroyed 75% of the island as well. All of the homes in the island of the 75% were completely crashed. In 1999, another one hit, and this would have very similar effects. Then in 2017, we see... It happened again. A thing that happens with these islands is the Caribbean and just ones all throughout the Caribbean are so exposed to hurricanes and things like that. Like throughout the 1990s and the 2000s, even today, they're just so vulnerable that when hurricanes hit, it really ruins them. As we've seen Puerto Rico and things like that, like some of these countries and areas and territories just still haven't recovered from storms that hit them even if it was five plus years ago so in 2017 hurricane irma hit and this one hits barbuda very very hard destroying 95 percent of buildings on the island and every single crop being destroyed 100 percent of the island being affected in some way and this forced the entire barbudan population to move into antigua and that's um something that lasted for a few years up until about 2019 is when the island started to recover to some degree and people were able to actually move back into Barbuda from Antigua and right now there's a huge discrepancy in the population between the two there's only about 2,000 people living in Barbuda and there's over two over 86,000 people living in Antigua and that's pretty much the history of this country I know it sounds short but the truth is this one had that very bang 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 caribbean style history where you know it's a people that different people groups are there originally they get wiped out because of wars the europeans come they do their atrocities wipe out the population that's there take over introduce slavery once slavery is ended the populations that were enslaved becoming they end up becoming the major population of the country and 
there's just different up and downs with their things and now we're here so that gets us to today which sees a lot of things the country today has a lot of very different things one of the things going on right now is that they have um a big historical reservation project going on a which is going to be done to protect an area called government house which was like the old parliament building where a lot of families would stay one big negotiations would happen everyone would be invited here there'd be big feasts this building called government house was going through a lot of erosion it was being abandoned and kind of not being upheld for long but different people have come into power in the country and they believe that it's very important for history to be taught the right way and they believe that you know this should be a preserved thing so that antiguans can go and show their kids you know their country's history in truth without having to hide anything and this is one of those major landmarks that they want to protect a lot of protections are being put in place across the country to preserve old landmarks and things like that but the biggest project right now is in government house when it comes to the culture here because whenever i have a short episode i always want to give extra time to acknowledge the culture and what the country is like and who what the people are like things like that so when it comes to the culture of this country as i said a lot of it was very restricted under the british but One of the things with the men of this country is they're one of those very old school style men where they really keep their head down and work hard and do what they have to do for their family. They're very focused on saving a lot of money so that their kids can have more opportunity. It's a very old school style of man is the head of the house, man works very hard, women have time to take care of the children. This is very much deep culture rooted in this country and then a lot of barbudans today you know very heavily praise their father for the hard work that he put in to provide for them and then they praise their mother for the love and cherishing that they were given and the way they were taught and the culture they were taught things like that deeper with their culture is that they've very much a dance culture very celebratory and they are a great craftsman they have a long history of making very colorful clothing and things like that and this is all put on great display during their carnival which happens every august and it's happened for the past 66 years because it commemorates the end of slavery in the british commonwealth and the colonies and because of that there's a huge celebration thrown every year and it's huge it draws in thousands of people from around the world People come from the UK to celebrate it. People come from America to celebrate it. It's one of the great places to go to a carnival in the world. And the full display of the culture is done here. Antiguan music is played. There's concerts. Big festivals for dance are had. Big Antiguan costumes. Things like this. The country's culture is very much put on display for this carnival. And that's when things really come to fruition. You get to see who these people are. And that's why preserving their history and preserving their culture is so important to them. So that in moments like this, you could see it on full display without having to hide anything. And when it comes to the present itself, this is another one of the small countries, as we said. We're still on this way lower part of the list. There's a lot of hundred, there's about just under 200 countries in the world. We're only on episode 15, and we've jumped twice to do countries that aren't on like the list of small countries. So for us to, you know, still be here, which means we're still going to see one thing, which is that this country is very tax lenient, as we see with all the microstates, especially the European microstates is they went through a time where they were leaning on banking because there's not as many big eyes on them. They don't have to worry as much about, you know, a big, like there's no CIA or anything in the in Antigua, so they don't have to worry as much about things like that coming for them. So they are much more lenient on taxes compared to other countries, especially for in the Caribbean. And currently they're a part of um, CARICOM, which is 
a community of Caribbean countries and territories. It's to keep relations good, keep trade good between them. They're a part of this. In 2014, they were actually voted the best place in the world to have a wedding. They were the most popular for it as well. And on top of that, there's more islands in the country than just Antigua and Barbuda. Those are just the two big ones. And a lot of them are owned by either very rich families that are passed down through the generations or they're clubs, like clubs, nightclubs, and fishing clubs, things like that own specific islands and rent them out for major events and rent them out to people who have the money to pay to go to them, things like that. It's a very, very richy, richy lifestyle in a lot of these smaller islands that make up the country. And with that, that's pretty much it. That is the country. That's what we got going. And... I got to do what I always do, and that's leave us with a good note, leave us with a little, you know, kiss goodbye mindset of sorts. And with Antigua, this one, Antigua and Barbuda, this one is right here. And that is embrace the things that are special about you and your culture and who you are. That's what I get from this one the most is despite them being under control of the British and enslaved for hundreds of years and then even after slavery ending them still being in control, under control of another country up until only about 40 years ago, their culture still managed to survive, though it was very suppressed and very hidden and was hush-hush for a long time. We still see today that there these big celebrations still go on today. The culture is still put on full display. The history of the country is being preserved and reamped to be told in the right way. And this country is not going to go down and disappear. Its culture will not disappear, and they will not let that happen. So I say take that and do it to yourself is the things that are special about you, make sure you cater to them, make sure you give them time and don't give up on them. Don't worry about how it affects other people. If you know you have something special about you, don't listen to criticism about it. Don't listen to people telling you you should stop. If you know what you have is a good thing and you're going to do something good with it, don't don't stress it. You're going to be okay. You're going to be great. You are you for a reason, be it from whatever you believe gives you traits about yourself, be it God, be it genes, be it the universe, or be it just your choices, whatever it is that you have gotten to the place of being good at and is special about you, maybe it's the way you talk to people, maybe it's your ability to listen, maybe it's the way you can articulate your feelings, whatever your special thing is, don't shy it away. The quote-unquote culture I give to myself is, you know, that I love history and that I'm able to articulate moments in history with my words and I'm able to derive lessons from them. That's something I won't let anyone ever tell me I can't do. And with you, it could be anything. Whatever that thing is, do not let anyone tell you you can't do it because you should do it because it's you. And if it's you and you are not doing it to hurt people and it's special, then it's you for a reason and don't give up on it. So without taking any more time, I just wanted to give that and give that mindset, which I believe in very firmly is that we all have something special about us. I believe in the saying that talented is distributed equally, but opportunity isn't. And we all have our talents. We all have our specialties. We all have our gifts. And with those gifts, you should not hide them away from the world. You should put them out because maybe your gifts will help other people and they will help yourself the more you do them. So that's my final piece there. And with that, I just want to say thank you so much for watching. This is one of our quicker episodes, very small country, harder to find evidence and uh, not evidence, but his history and historical evidence for a lot of these countries, but still a great time. Always love being able to come on here and say things like this. And I just want to say thank you all so much for listening. So my name is Alex Marks. This is Young History, and that was Antigua and Barbuda. I hope you all enjoy and that you have a great day. Bye-bye.